I think the point was I never tried to grow faster than I felt comfortable with. And I will tell you one other thing to this day. I don't always think bigger is better. And I have intentionally held back on some of those opportunities because they don't feel right to me. So we're probably making, well, I can tell you for sure, we're making more money margin-wise, but we could be a multi-million dollar business, but we might be making less than we're making now, still under the million mark. We, as women entrepreneurs, look at risk and success completely different than men. When we make business decisions, which by the way, always have financial implication, we take into consideration our family and life as a whole, not only the business itself. That's why it is necessary for us to balance between purpose and profit. When we, the founder and CEO of the business is not well, then our family and business are not well either. When you don't balance between purpose and profit, you make the wrong financial decision. Financial decision that costs you to move away from your purpose, cost, or belief. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. I am your host, Christina Shahli. My guest and I take you behind the scenes and into the inner workings of our businesses, sharing the good, the bad, and the truth about the money we have made or lost and recover as entrepreneurs. And all because we want you to see how you can live a freedom lifestyle using the power of finance to build your business dream. This week, I'm talking to Sue Monhape, the CEO of GiveBiz Unwrap and the Ribbon Print Company. She is also the host of GiveBiz Unwrap podcast, where she provides free resources for gifter, baker, crafter, and maker. Let's find out how Sue aligns her purpose to build a globally known company without any external funding to her financial vision. Sue Monheit, welcome to her CEO journey. So Sue is a business owner, podcast host, speaker, educator, and best-selling author for the community she's lovingly named gifters, baker, crafters, makers, people who create beautiful and delicious products that they want to share with the world. Sue, please share your CEO journey with me and my audience. I would love to. I first want to thank you, Christina, for having me on your show. I'm so excited to be here. And we get to meet, the listeners don't get to, but we get to see each other um, over Zoom while we're talking. So that's really fun. Yes. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited because I know you have 25 years of experience and then you have a lot of wisdom to share with my audience. Well, okay. So let me tell you my journey. And I really honestly applaud you for hitting the financial end of business development because I think it's something that is really important and we don't always talk about. And I know we'll get into that in a little while, but so I'll just kind of do a bird's eye view of my story. I started and spent most of my corporate career in corporate sales and marketing. And I was really, really fortunate to be able to go pretty deep with a lot of boutique type stores, as well as some of the big brands that you would know. So huge brands. So I got a chance to see behind the scenes of all different types of businesses and all different sizes of business. And I absolutely loved my corporate job. It's not my story that I was trying to escape the corporate world at all. The reason I left corporate is my children were growing too fast and I was missing their childhood. I was always at the airport. I called that my second office. And as much as I love traveling, I knew my children wouldn't wait for me. <laughs> like I couldn't freeze them yep. at like, Wish. you know, four and seven or something, yeah. right? They yeah. weren't going to stop. <laughs> so I decided to stop working for a little while. I stayed at home, did the PTA president thing, you know, all those types of things, classroom mom, you know, all of those things and loved that. But as my children then started getting older, I think it was the combination of that and also my love for business, my true love for business. Mm -hmm. I decided I was going to get back into the world somehow. And 
into the, you know, more of a corporate type thing or just yep. a career. Maybe I should just say just a career. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, it was my husband who had to say to me, well, Sue, you've been teaching people how to do this for years. Why don't you start something of yourself for yourself? And it still surprises me to this day that it took my husband to suggest it versus me deciding to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And I think as women, I'm not sure, Christina, how many, how, you know, what percentage of your listeners are women, but I mostly work with a women community now. Yeah. And it surprises me how many times we, it has to be suggested to us. So the same thing that I saw for myself seems to be a trend with us women. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, again, to fast circuit this, I started a gift basket business because, and I'd never made a gift basket in my life when I started that business, mind you, but I liked the idea of giving back to people who helped others. You know, it was more that psychological idea of thanking people who do a good job, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I started a gift basket business out of my house. Didn't work out the way I wanted because it grew so fast. I think within the first year I had to leave the house get into a production facility to rent space because I just had too much business. Wow. Um, Hired employees, all of that. While I was in there, and I know you want to talk about the financials. So I want to share the whole story because it's important when we then start talking about how I financed all of this. While I was in the gift basket business, this concept of being able to print on ribbon on a location, in other words, not ordering out for companies who had big machinery to print on ribbon, but to be able to print on ribbon from a machine that was on your desk, that came into the market. And I bought one of those for my gift basket business. And that's how I started landing a lot of my corporate accounts. But the product was terrible. The software froze, there was no support. Nobody of the few people that did this, nobody had been a salesperson, so knew how to sell it, how to market it, how to price it. And I knew all that stuff. So I was like, oh my gosh, if I only could do this, like I, I, there were so many things going through my head saying I wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. And so eventually what I did is I wound down basket time, which was my gift basket business and started the ribbon print company, which is an, a business that exists today, which is a worldwide business, um, multi six figure mid to now upper multi six figure business. I own my own software. I have my own brand of ribbon, which is what we were talking about pre-interview. This it's is my colorful. own brand of ribbon that you're seeing. This, people who are listening can't see it, but I my know, office so is bad. really colorful it's so <laughs> because colorful. I have all these. so nice. <laughs> so I started that business. While I do that business, and this business exists today, it's called the Ribbon Print Company. Um, with this business, the way we get a lot of sales are going out to trade shows, seeing people in person. And when people would come up to my booth at trade shows, you know, of course we ask, well, what's your business? What do you do? Because that's how we know how to talk about the ribbon printer. This is when I identified that a lot of women, again, don't know how to start a business. They're afraid to, they're stuck. They feel like if they don't do it exactly by the book, it's going to be wrong. And again, I'm like, I know how to do this. That was what I did in corporate forever. And so I decided I want to help people. I want to, I want to show people how to start a business from something that they make. So whether it's candles or soaps or floral or whatever it is, I want to help people be able to do this. And that's when I started Gift Biz Unwrapped, which is my podcast and now courses teaching people who are makers how to make product. So those two final businesses, the Ribbon Print Company and Gift Biz Unwrapped, both exist today. Wow. So that's the big umbrella. I know that was a lot, but that was a big umbrella picture. So can you tell me like the timeline? When did you start the gift basket business? And then how long does it take you to realize about the Ribbon Print Company that, you know, I want to do this? And then you start going to trade show. And you created Gift Biz Unwrap. I know your podcast started in 2015. So like the evolution, 
I'll give it to you the best that I can say. So I quit my corporate job in 1999. I started planning for basket time, my gift basket business, 12 months before I actually opened. Because I did a lot of research, a lot of market planning, a lot of whatever. So that would have been 2004, early 2004. I recognized, and, and that was when everything, like within that year, I started the business, had to move out of the house, get a production studio, all of that, almost within the first, I don't remember exactly when, but within that first 12 months, I was already stretching the limits. If it wasn't 12 months, it was for sure by 18 months in. I was out of the house, production studio, with people helping, with a staff. And right at that time, also, I saw the opportunity with the ribbon printer. And so then I had kind of an overlap. And that's going to be important when we start talking about finances. Mm -hmm. I had an overlap for about two years. And then I ended up closing down basket time and then exploding with the ribbon print company. And then again, I'd say about two years after that. So call it four years now, I've been doing Gift Biz Unwrapped. So for the longest time, you were sticking with the ribbon print company before you started doing the Gift Biz Unwrapped. Okay. Right. So I had the idea, but I hadn't done it yet. Yes. Okay. Now, first of all, Gift Basket Business, that is a lot of capital. Because you have to buy all the product, you have to buy all the supply. You know, it's not a service-based, obviously. It's a product-based business. You know, when you were doing the planning, the 12 months before you're saying, I want to do this gift basket business, did you do like a business plan? How did you plan for the capital investment to your business? I didn't really have to plan for the capital. My husband and I agreed, I'm going to invest $2,000. That's it. $2,000 to get started. Okay. And I have never, ever taken a loan for any of my businesses. Ever, ever, ever. Okay. Yes, you grow a little slower, Mm -hmm. but it's it's your strategy and your plan and the way you allocate your dollars it's not, I like, I could have started with a loan of 20,000 and never gotten to where I am because it depends on what you do with the money that you have. So for basket time, for example, uh, I had $2,000. That's it. So what has to happen first? Well, obviously you have to put money towards registering a company, especially because there were consumables. I knew I needed to be covered. So I had to have an LLC. Like that was a no brainer. That had to happen. Um, I checked with my insurance people. I really didn't need an increase over and above what we had. Remember, because I was out of the house at that point Mm -hmm. still. I didn't need anything extra because I wasn't going to have any customers coming to the house. So I checked that. That was okay. So I didn't have to spend on something like that. I used my children's computer. I didn't need to buy a computer. I didn't need to buy anything fancy. I could do without. The money went into getting product, but not too much, just a little bit. I think I started out with maybe four gift baskets. That was it. One would be chocolate. One was like a crackers and cheese. And one was birthday and one was baby. That was it. And I was testing the concept. I was testing to see what would work. I had limited inventory. But the thing that I did right, Christina, is I priced properly. I, you know, I really looked at the pricing and I made sure that with the products that I, with every sale of a gift basket, I was making a little bit of money for myself and making a little bit of money that I could invest, reinvest in the business. Okay. So that is always key. Okay. So you were in sales and marketing corporate, right? Like, how do you learn about this? Like, I mean, absolutely. Pricing properly is key. So where did you learn the skill set? What was your thought process about pricing? What did you include in all of this? Because you said the success is because you price it properly. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I had a mentor when I was in corporate. I am not a finance girl. Like if I have to see dollar signs, I kind of run. So it's funny that I care so much about pricing. But I learned early on, pricing is everything. You know, pricing is the health and the survival of a business moving forward. And I'm proof with several of my businesses now that you don't need a huge investment to get started. You need to price properly and you need to pay for things that are closest to the next sale, right? I didn't need a new computer, but I did need brochures or an email provider or a networking membership to my chamber. Things that got me as close to a sale as it possibly could, because that would then give me more money to invest in the company to grow. So you invest in activities that will result in return of your investment. And then majority of them are not like big dollar items. You think you plan about it, basically. Yeah, I planned for things that were as close to the sale as possible. Okay. I don't have to go into business and have a brand new computer. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go into business and have a nice desk and a nice chair. Mm-hmm. I need to be out in front of people with some product, obviously, mm-hmm. with a probably a brochure or some type of a leaf behind. And then I did the hard work. Now I was coming from sales. So that did give me a little bit of an advantage. My hard work was making phone calls, getting connections, getting meetings, because that's scary, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's scary when you're starting because that's right. The rubber meets the road right away. Either you're going to make sales or you're not, you know, you're going to start building relationships or you're not. And I think it's very easy for people to hide behind all this other work that they need to do. Oh, they need to put up their Facebook pages and you know all the social media and they need to be posting all the time. That doesn't necessarily get you to the short term sales that you need to grow the business. Okay. So You know, you were able to basically grow this gift basket business between 12 months to 18 months, you said, okay? Were you able to pay yourself? Were you profitable during that 12 to 18 months? I was profitable from the very first basket. Yes. You know, I made the investment of the 2000. Mm -hmm. And if you looked at just the pricing of that very first order that I got, It had margin in there and it also had a dollar allocation for my salary. Now, I did not, I chose not to take that salary Mm -hmm. and to add it to the margin to reinvest in my business, which I could because I was at home. I didn't have a lot of fixed costs Mm -hmm. and that helped me advance a little faster, but still kind of slow because. I didn't have, let's face it, I didn't have a lot of money to start in a really inventory rich business, Mm. but it allowed me to get more product, allowed me to add more designs in faster. And I wasn't looking at taking a big salary either. You know, I was looking at building the business first. Okay. So now the end of that 18 months, 12 months to 18 months, you decided to move out from your home and then start renting right? Renting Mm -hmm. a space. How do you know that renting a space was a big step? Because that is a big fixed cost. And then that got to be included as part of your pricing. So how did you do that? How did you know that you were ready? I was really lucky. And I say luck, let me back this up and just let me tell you about luck a, a little bit. I feel like everybody can be lucky, but you put yourself in luck's path. Okay, so I got lucky and you'll understand why I say this when I tell you the story, but I was out there to be positioned to be able to be lucky, if that makes sense. So as we were just saying, I was getting myself as close to a sale as I can. I was making presentations to, I I knew early on when I started the gift basket business that the key was going to be corporate sales multiple orders, not just one person buys a gift basket for a birthday and another person buys a gift basket for a baby event. It was going to be corporate type sales where I'd have large orders, multiple baskets, etc. And so I was starting to get that. I was attracting for whatever reason, I think it was because of chambers, I was attracting a lot of the senior care facilities, mm-hmm. you know, like at home companions, 
that kind of thing. And they were giving gifts for, thank you for trusting us with your loved one, maybe birthday gifts for those loved ones. So I was starting to see a little bit of a trend of continual business from middle-sized businesses, I guess I would say. Mm -hmm. Then I started approaching larger businesses and one business in particular, it was a regional bank. I went in and pitched and I got the business. And here's where I say I was lucky. Well, first off, I knew to contract the business because if I contracted, if I'm at, so you're going to, you're going to buy in a 12 month period, X number of baskets from me, approximately so-and-so a month of like whatever, whatever the contract terms were. And it was signed and contracted. Then number one, I was able to go back and buy product based on volume because I had the commitment. So my costs dropped, but also that contract paid for, and this is like, this is where it's unbelievable. My rent, my electricity, my phone, my insurance, because now I'm out of the house. So mm -hmm. I need insurance and my snow plowing because I live in Chicago. <laughs> so that's a big expense. Yes, it's true. Yeah. All of that was covered by that one account. So I ended up not really making any money off of that, but I had positioned myself to grow, right? Because all my margin went to pay for all the other. So they were what allowed me to, to not have to take out any more loans. I wasn't making a lot of money. I kind of forget if my employees were paid off of that or not. I don't quite remember that part. But then I knew that, and I could sleep really well at night because I knew I still wasn't owing anybody anything. But I had to get my butt out on the street making more business because now I needed to make more money on top of that. You know, that's where my money would come from. But did you get that contract before you move out from the yeah. house? Oh, yeah. so you strategically already have in your mind, okay, I got this contract. I can move out because you know that all the costs, the fixed costs, that's the scary part, are being right. covered by that one specific contract. And everything else extra, the more like extra outside that contract, it's like, you can pay yourself. You can pay for taxes. It's your margin, basically. Right. Now, let's move on to your next one, the ribbon print company. That's also a huge investment. A lot of capital investment for the machine, for the software, and everything. And you said that it takes you two years. So it's like two years overlap. What was your thought process there in terms of the financing? You know, how are you going to grow that the investment? This was much harder. This one was much harder because I had to build my own software. So the first thing was, who does that? Like, how do you even go about building your own software? Mm. Like, how do you do that? And what are the costs for it? And all of that. And that was really rough. That was hard. And I didn't think it was going to work. Again, my husband's like, we'll figure this out. We'll figure this out, how to do it. it and when I was getting quotes for the software, we were talking six digits just to build the software. I didn't have that kind of money mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. So I guess a little bit of a long story short with that, because there was an overlap with the business, basket time continued to grow. I, cont I, I protected that contracted account like everybody's business, because if that would have gone away, I would have been in big trouble. So we really were making sure that we were doing everything in our power to make sure that we would recontract the next year and the next year and the next year. And truth is, they stayed a client of mine until the very, very end. But we also got more contracts like that. So basket time was growing. And I'll be really honest, we, my husband and I talked about it and we agreed that I was not going to take a salary we were going to invest when I could have. I could have taken a living wage salary from basket time if I had decided to just stay basket time. But instead, I was looking at the ribbon print company. Look, versus being a regional business, this is a global business. We sell all over the world. It's a very finite number of competitors that we have. I am the only one to this day 
who has any sales or marketing experience, anyone who is a competitor who owns somewhat of a similar company are machine people. So they really don't know the pricing, the marketing, the strategy behind it. They know how to run the equipment. And my software is still the best. I have to say that too. Thank God. But so, so what we did do there, because we saw that basket time was going really well, we did pull money from what we call our house account, my husband and I, to make an investment in the software development. So, and that was six digit. No, we didn't end up paying that. We ended up paying, we made the investment of $20,000, like from our own house finances, Mm -hmm. which of course, long ago has been paid back, Mm -hmm. but basket time couldn't supplement the other amount of money to pay the software. So what we did, I mean, we looked everywhere for software. I talked to developers in the States. We looked overseas. We, I actually had someone on the streets in India trying to find somebody to make the software for us. And we ended up sticking with somebody local. But what I was going to do is make not my full vision of the software, but just build a portion of that that, that was then usable. And then add to the software as I had the finances to grow the software. But it ended up the people who were building the software for us loved the project so much because it was creative versus what they're normally building for people. They pretty much built out the whole thing for me at probably half the price. So there I got lucky again too, because I was just going to, like I said, build it up as I needed to. But so we got our software then built the business because that's also an inventory rich business because there's equipment. We didn't have ribbon at the time, but there were other pieces that you needed to actually run the business. And so basket time pretty much supplemented ribbon print for a while, except for that other investment for the software build. But then, like we said, I lowered down, I I kind of lowered down ribbon print or basket time as I increased ribbon print, paid back by the 20,000 to our house account and kind of the rest is history with that. Okay, so Sue, like this is the interesting is part. That confusing? Is it, that really confusing? No, it's not confusing. <laughs> the, no, the interesting part for me as a number person, as a finance person, how did you make it all work? Like, what are did you have like a financial plan that you know? Okay, it seems like it's every move that you did to build the company. It's very strategic. That's how I see see it, okay? So you know, okay, I have my gift basket business, okay? And I know that I need to get more contract to basically supplement my, my the ribbon print company. I'm going to take 20,000 loan, which is you paid very quickly back. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, you need equipment. You need inventory. You need people. I'm assuming you need people, right? For the ribbon print company? Not as many as basket time. We actually were able to cut staff. Oh. We, because with ribbon print, we don't actually print ribbon for people. We sell the equipment and the program and the supplies. Okay. So, so okay. with the ribbon print company, it's a, lot of, it's a lot more training and customer support, but still inventory rich. Can you explain a little bit? So how does that ribbon print company works? Okay, so the final result, if you think of like something that everyone would know, like a a box of Godiva chocolates have that ribbon around it that says Godiva, Godiva, Godiva. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we sell, for example, to a local chocolate maker in anyone's little local market. And they're then able to put that same type of ribbon with the brand name of their company around that bo- around a box of the chocolates that they make. Mm-hmm. And they can do it right when a customer is in the shop. Or they could put a, a ribbon around that box of chocolates that says, happy birthday, Christina, and wrap the box like that. So it's all very personalized. And they can do it right in the shop. And guess what? Guess what? The beauty of that is they can charge their customer more. The customer's already buying the product. And then they say, well, would you like a custom ribbon that says happy birthday, Christina? You, then you don't even really necessarily need a card. 
um, that'll be $5 if you're interested in doing that. And people would be like, oh my gosh, because no one's ever seen that, right? Yeah, they'll do it. Their wallet's already out. So then our customers are also making more money. You know, so so it's it's a win-win. They don't just have this capability. They're also increasing the margins on their sales. Okay, so you're not selling the ribbon. So you're selling the software and the equipment. We sell a package, which includes the printer, the software. It's like a starter kit for then the businesses to function and be able to print ribbon themselves. And with that, we also then will sell the supplies. So, you know, we sell, it's called foils and that's getting too technical, but kind of like the ink that would go on the ribbon. Mm -hmm. But then now we also have our own brand of ribbon that I make that goes beautifully with the printer that gives a really sharp, crisp print. And that's why I sell ribbon. That was another evolution of the company. Okay, going back, going back to the number, how do you make all of this work in terms of number? Do you know that the ribbon print company will be profitable? And then was it profitable from the beginning? Same thing. I think my key was with basket time, I had a set number of dollars that I had. I was either going to make it work with that number of dollars or I wasn't. There was no going back to the till. Like, you know, oh, 2,000 didn't quite do it. I need another 1,000. It was either going to be 2,000 does it or it doesn't, right? Mm. So I was really, really careful with that money. And as I said, made sure that that money, it's like bunnies, right? Produced more bunnies, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so the same thing with the ribbon print company, although now we're dealing with a few more dollars. But I also had money that I was making from basket time. I was using the profits from basket time to help build ribbon print because that was what I was going to take forward. Like the plan, once I decided ribbon print was working and happening because of the software, I knew full well that my investment with basket time and the margins covering costs, covering rent, covering all of that was going to build ribbon print. So within two years, you were able to be profitable with ribbon print. Because you closed down gift basket. I didn't close that down for about eight years. Oh. I ran them consecutively, getting in more business, making money from that that could help then build the ribbon print company. Were there any financial surprises or things that you're kind of like, oh no, from the financial perspective, this is not working. Were there any surprises for you? Oh, yeah. Let's think about which ones we want to talk about. (laughs) Okay. Well, first off, I also, I do want to say that it sounds now like it was really strategic. And it was strategic in terms of, I had the sums of money that we just talked about, and that was it. Mm. So I had to really be smart. And again, my point is always do the actions that are closest to making the sale. Mm -hmm. I can tell you now that that's what I did. During that time, I was looking at lots of different options and some things were working and some things weren't, but it was all with the same thought process, the same strategy. In terms of surprises with money, you know, I had a lot of learning, I guess I'd say, with all different types of things with money. Like one time the government didn't get my monthly sales tax, even though it showed online that it went through. And they ended up fining me for a ton of money, which I really shouldn't have had to pay. But what do you do? You can only fight City Hall so long, right? So things like that happened. I had a major issue with, now my machine, my equipment that we sell, sells anywhere from $1,000 to $1,500 now with ribbon print. You know, I've had, I had a couple of clients screw me over on payment plans You know, so I had to learn about that. I mean, we've had some things over time, definitely. Nothing big that could have crushed me, but things that held me back a little bit. But I think the point was I never tried to grow faster than I felt comfortable with. And I will tell you one other thing to this day. I don't always think bigger is better. Mm. I had an opportunity And I'm not going to say who it was, but you can, I mean, we're in the hobby, craft, creative field. So you can kind of guess there's only a handful that this could be. But I had the opportunity to potentially have the ribbon printer be in one of the big national chains, like be sold through those stores. 
Amazon also approaches me all the time, by the way. You will not find us selling through Amazon. I just felt that there were a couple of situations which would not allow me to work with our customers the way we want to be able to work with them and provide the services and have them be able to use the system in the best manner for their business. And I have intentionally held back on some of those opportunities because they don't feel right to me. So we're probably making, well, I can tell you for sure, we're making more money margin-wise, but we could be a multi-million dollar business, but we might be making less than we're making now, still under the million mark. I'm laughing here because- I know, I'm watching your face. No one can see us. (laughs) Because I am impressed. Like what I have seen, a lot of business owners they want to grow fast. They want to grow big. You seems to take a step back and then say to yourself, is this really aligned to my value? Does it make sense, you know, to grow my revenue, but my margin is basically nothing. But if I keep it small, you know, enough, but my margin is actually higher, right? right. And we like what we're doing. We're not a slave to somebody else. Thank you. <laughs> I am. A, I work for corporate, okay? And I, I work for public companies. One of the things that I always wonder at when I was spending my time at corporate, I'm like, we're a slave to our shareholders. We are yes. the slave to the bank that loan us money. Like there has got to be a better way to do this. It sounds crazy. And then a lot of business owners probably going to say, are you crazy? How can we grow if you don't go out there and then get an investor, venture capital or going public or get a long-term loan? I'm like, it's possible. It's just going to be slower, right? right? So if you are impatient, yeah, you want to go out there and then you start making, you know, make scaling. Right. You're going to be a slave. So I'm like, I'm all with that. No loan, no investor, grow organically because you can. And then you've proven that your business is like multi six figures, great margin, and you're happy. Not many people can say that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I will tell you, there was a time when I was buying. On the ribbon end, okay? I'm pointing to the ribbon. I yes, know they can't see yes. it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, the ribbon, on the ribbon end, there was a time when I thought, okay, I want more channels of revenue. We had an issue because the printer prints better on some ribbon than other ribbons. So we thought, okay, it's going to save some headaches and some explanation on our end if we provided ribbon that we know prints well. And so I was getting ribbon. I was buying ribbon from someone else. So now we got above couple of tiers and levels of suppliers, right? And the quality started going down or was inconsistent, I should say. The colors, like it was just starting to be a problem that we couldn't control, which is when I thought, why don't I make my own ribbon? Like, how would I go about doing something like that? I ended up doing some research. Um, We do make our ribbon in China. I'll tell you that. You can't really make ribbon in the States anyway, but Um, I went to the factory in China, met with them, wanted to make sure it wasn't a sweatshop. When we made that deal and started selling now the ribbon that I make, we, we made sure that the combination, the finish on the ribbon, the tightness of the weave, all of that was what we needed to go through the machine. So it's truly customized. But pricing of that, because I had eliminated actually two middlemen there, when I ended up having, bringing in my own ribbon, we were able to reduce the price to our customers of the ribbon, and I increased my margin at the same time. So we both won. Now, I could have kept the ribbon the same price and like gouged my clients, and they would never know, but I didn't want to do that. I didn't think it was right. So the ribbon cost went down, and my margins went up because I'm dealing direct. I'm cutting out middle people. So, Sue, what are the financial process that you have in place, you know, to manage your inventory, to review the num- the profitability? Like, what are those process? Can you share that? Yeah. 
I told you before, I am not a good numbers person, like P&L reading. I can read it. I get it. I understand it. I don't like it. <laughs> I do have a bookkeeper who does all of our financials, of course. And then we sit down. It's supposed to be on a monthly basis. I can tell you with my traveling and all that, it's probably every other month. We've talked about what are my key indicators that I want to know in the business. You know, one, of course, is top line revenue. Are we growing? you know, margin, how are we doing, where maybe should we be trimming some expenses, that kind of thing. So we sit down and we review the numbers. I also make her put them in charts for me, like the graphs, because it's easier for me to understand. We also have the complication now of the gift biz brand, right? Because that is now growing. You know, it's still in its growing stage. I'm not winding down ribbon print to grow gift biz, but I am and have funded a lot of what we're doing with gift biz through margin from ribbon print. You know, you know, Christina podcasts take money to do. Mm -hmm. I have online courses, my book, like all that stuff costs money to do. Um, So we now, we have broken out. So I have finances for ribbon print and finances for gift biz. And I do that also because my long-term goal is to sell the ribbon print company. Mm. And I've told our customers that and they start freaking out. And I'm like, no, you guys, like 10 years from now, like, don't worry. It's not happening tomorrow. (laughs) But I want to also make sure that all of my financials are in place Mm -hmm. for a sale, Mm -hmm. right? So we sit down and we review the numbers. And we just started that actually, I'm embarrassed to say this year, but I have a good handle on our numbers because I don't have loans. I don't have loans. Like we also, I pay off my credit card every month, like no loans, none. We have rent, (laughs) you know, because I'm, you know, we have rent and we have, you know, we have certain things we pay for every month, but it makes it a lot easier. So how many people are in your team? Like, do you have payroll? So I have an assistant. God bless her, Lori. If I didn't have her, I don't know what I would do. We have someone come who comes in and produces orders. I very recently, within the last year and a half, I'd say, have taken my hands off of filling orders. So I don't really fill orders at all anymore. It was kind of confusing between the ribbon print company and gift biz. Mm-hmm. To have someone working both of those can be confusing. So here's the way my team goes. People that I pay for are Lori, my assistant, Sophia, who comes in and fills orders puts Facebook ads up, does customer service, all of that for the ribbon print side. Mm -hmm. Then we also have a Facebook community manager and customer service person in Philadelphia. Her name is Anita. Mm -hmm. So that's ribbon print. Mm -hmm. Then I also have a virtual assistant over on the gift biz side who does my podcast editing. Mm -hmm. So all those people I pay directly for their services. Okay. Not all are on payroll. Some are 1099. But then I also have like my bookkeeper is hired independent contractor, right? Mm -hmm. Um, My graphic artist, same way. And then I have a Facebook ad strategist too, mostly for my course launches. So basically you're building this multi-million dollars business. Okay, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) Multi six figures business with seven people, pretty much. It's not even, okay, three people for the ribbon printing. And then you have your bookkeeper, four. And then you have your gift unwrap, which is one VA, one social media manager. My Facebook ads manager and my graphic artist and my bookkeeper, like all of those are player on top of everybody, right? Yeah. So, and, and, and I want to make it clear, none of those people are full-time, but me. I'm the there only full-time. Insane, I guess. And I do need to add a new person. I do need to add a content manager or a copywriter. Anybody who thinks they're good and wants to call me, please do. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, Anybody that's interested to work with Sue, because I <laughs> tell you, she's, I listen to her interview and podcast. She's awesome. <laughs> there you go. So, but, you know, I have seen entrepreneurs who's making multi-six figures and growing their team 
And then at the end of the day, because what they're thinking is that if I grow my team, that's mean I'm scaling, right? And then it's more than what you have. You have two businesses, three, right? And then, yeah, two businesses. So it's less than 10. And then it's all subcontractor, right? Contractors. It's all part-time or or contractors. Exactly, exactly. So that is scaling slow, but profitable. Let's put it that way. And I still like it. Like there's a, if you grow too big, like I was saying, if I would have gotten into that big chain store, my job would have changed to something I don't like, probably. That gets to that being a slave type thing. I hear you. So do you have a budget? I can ask you that. Do you have a budget? Do you have a cash flow projection? Because inventory, it's huge, right? Like there is a, a lot of things with inventory is that there is going to be stagnant inventory, slow moving inventory, right? And if you don't watch that carefully in a product-based business, it's hard how your money is stuck in your inventory. Uh, we have over six figures of inventory. <gasps> yeah. You know, I have no choice with that mm-hmm. because I make, and it's mostly in the ribbon. I have no choice with that mm-hmm. because I'm making it directly and I need to have it available. And that is a challenge. I need to have it available. If we have one color of one size of one color of ribbon mm-hmm. that's out of stock, mm-hmm. you know, I have minimum order quantities because I'm going directly to a factory, right? Mm-hmm. So there's good and bad with that. And we're managing and we're juggling it pretty well. But the good part about that is when I've made the investment, I know eventually we're going to sell it and it's not perishable. You know, I'm coming from the gift basket industry and it was gourmet gift baskets. So the most of our inventory was food. So if you didn't sell it and manage it properly, you threw it away. Mm. Right. So this feels much more comfortable. But what I am doing, we're limiting, like we're limiting our ribbon selection to 25 colors. Mm. We're limiting our sizes to certain sizes. And that's all we're going to have. It's all I can house in here anyway. But that's it. So that's a little bit how we're managing. Like we're not, we don't go for the newest, latest, greatest neon pink color and stock it, even though maybe some of our customers want it because I know it's going to be short term. Mm. But we do have traditional red, baby pink, you know, the baby colors Mm -hmm. and obviously the yellow that you see. So we have 25 of the basic colors and I trust that that inventory not only is good, but will sell over time. Because remember, I'm going to, at some point, I'm going to sell the ribbon print company along with that goes all the inventory. Did you ever run into an aha moment basically saying, you know, my cash flow is going down. Okay, what do I need to do to manage so my cash flow is still at a safe level? It can be a juggling act. The answer is yes. And the way we've handled that is a couple of things. We work with our vendors to, it depends on the product and how quickly we need it. But what we'll do is we'll work with our vendors so that they maybe make the product and have the product, but then we pull from it. Okay. Okay. So not with ribbon. I can't do that with ribbon, but with other product, we'll make the product. And let's say we have 500 rolls of foil, let's say. Mm -hmm. Foil is like the ink that goes on the ribbon. They'll make it and have it available for us. And I've signed the contract that I will buy all of that. But maybe we pull it in batches of 100 or batches of 200 and we pay for it as we need it. So our clients who've ordered it, we're getting the money. Also, nothing goes out our door without being fully paid for, except for printer packages, which are on a payment plan. I take that back. There are a few larger customers that we offer a net 30 payment to. Other than that, it's just like on the internet. When you pay for something, you have to put in your credit card before it gets shipped. So basically, you are able to get the cash inflow in first, then you pay your suppliers, basically. For 80% of the business. For 80% 80 of of the business. 
So let's move on to your next business. So you're the one that you are growing right now. And then you're saying that you basically listen to your customer or you're going to trade show and then kind of like something clicked with you. You want to help more business owners. You started four years ago, right? 2015? Uh, The podcast is about four years old. So that's kind of where I lay the line in the sand of when we started. Okay. So give this unwrap. What are your business model there? You have a membership, you have podcasts, you have coaching. Can you share a little bit on that? Yeah, um, I did not start monetizing that until two years ago. So I was doing a podcast for two years before I ever even had a product for sale. I knew what my product for sale was going to be. It was going to be a full start to finish course on how to start and grow a business. The actual model that I went through to build Basket Time and the Ribbon Print Company. So now I have a program called Makers MBA, and it virtually takes somebody from, I want to sell my candles and make make money with it, you know, and possibly replace my nine to five. Not everybody does. Some people just want a part-time job, right? Which is also fine. And it goes through how to start your business the right way like getting all the foundation in place, how to price, how to start getting your initial sales, social media, email marketing, all of it, all the way through to how do you make sure that what you're selling stays relevant? Mm -hmm. So you aren't Toys R Us who's shuttering their doors or Mm -hmm. Blockbuster or all these other big guys. Like you think the big guys have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. They don't. No. And, and there are so many, many levels of bureaucracy there anyway. Like it takes forever, but that's a whole different thing. Um, but so how do you stay relevant if you want to stay in business? So it goes through the whole lifetime of a company. So that's a course, that's an online course, but it's big. I mean, it's like you buy this course and this is really what you need for the life of your business. Mm. I'm also right now working on a smaller course that validates a product. So you make candles. How do you know that in your market, your candles with your design, your style, whatever, will sell and at what price so that you can grow a business? Okay, so maybe you have, maybe you have a product and it will sell, but they need to be a little smaller. They need to be a different color. Uh, the jar that you put it in, your market for some reason just doesn't like that. You know, what is it? How do you validate and make your product, something you know will work before you invest time and money into a business. Uh-huh. So I'm kind of starting that. Well, we're, we're in the process of working through that right now. So that I'm hoping to have that course available before the end of the year. So the Maker MBA, is that like a year long program? Is it like continuous? This is the evolution of a business, right? I started it as a course. I transitioned it into a membership. The feedback from the membership was, we need more hands-on from you, Sue. There's, we have questions. We have all of that. So now it's gone back to being a pay-in-full course, but I drip it now. So it's a 12-week program, and so they get Module 1. They go through Module 1. We have a call that week on Module 1. Then they get Module 2. We go through Module 2. They have a call. And and then that call, they can cover everything we've talked about from Module 1 and 2. And then it just builds on itself. Mm. Um, This current class of students we're in, we're halfway through. We're in week six this week. So there's six more weeks. So then what happens after that? So there's 12 weeks of content. And they have the course forever. They have access to the course, access to those Q&As forever. That then transitions into a membership program with weekly calls. Oh. And that's my way of being able to coach as many people who have questions at any level within their business development for a monthly fee, which is way less than private coaching. <laughs> so you don't do private coaching? I do. I do. I wasn't going to do that for the longest time, but I am. You know, people ask and I, and I love doing it that way, but it's expensive. It is, you know, and I do private coaching by the hour. I won't, I don't do, I'm going to coach you how to grow and build your business forever. Mm. So I do it by the hour. Is it more like a VIP? So what you need, this is what we're going to discuss. And that's the result that you're going to get. Is it something? For the hour coaching. Yeah. Yes. Okay. 
Got it. I also do full day. Do you want to strategically plan out your business? Mm. We do that too, but I don't walk them through, okay, let me help you figure out what your colors are going to be for your brand. Like I don't do that, you know, but that is what the whole group will support each other with. You know, I have this logo and this logo. Do you like A or B better? And I, of course, weigh in as well. Nice. Okay, Sue, tell me what are you excited about for the remaining 2019 and going into 2020? I am really excited about this new course to validate ideas because I think, and I, and I can't take credit for this. This was my assistant, Lori. As we're talking with people who are considering joining Makers MBA, she has sensed, and I agree with her, is that still a lot of us as women see the possibilities, see that other people can do it, but when we turn the mirror on ourselves, we're not sure if it's us, if we can do it. So this course that I'm creating that's a validation mm-hmm. is meant for people to be able, because yes, there are some products that are never going to support a business. Mm-hmm. And we need to know that early on, before our dreams and our finances are so entrenched. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just tweaks or adjustments. Or because I serve gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers, maybe it's not your colorful pens that you want to sell, but it's your quilts that are going to make the money. You know, because many people make multiple things, you know, or maybe it's not the quilts. Maybe it's the customized colorful pen. Like you don't know until you test it. Correct. Correct. So how long is the program, Sue? It's not created yet. We're working on it right now. It's going to be a smaller program um, and it's it's not going to cost as much. And it's meant to be able to kind of put a check mark on your product that, yep, this is something that will work. And this is the pricing that you need to, you know, to charge for it so that it can be a business. And yes, you've seen and you've witnessed the fact that you can sell it at that. And if that happens, then it's like, okay, let's open the doors and let's really start your business now. And they can do that with me or they can do it with them. They can do it by themselves because they validated their product. Yep. Yep. Product validation. And then, you know what, Christina, then it can be more exciting and fun for them because they don't have to be fearful of whether yes. it work or not. Yes. Because I think with your experience as women, sometimes we just need to be validated. Yes. To be Somebody to give us permission to say, yes, it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Move on now. Take right. action. I think right. that's, that's as women, it's the tendency. We, we need support from behind and then being pushed a little bit, right? right. So that's, that's such a great idea. So, so please give, what would be your big advice to those who wants to get into product-based business aside from validating? So they can be successful. My biggest advice is not to think that you're going to land it the first time out. And the second that you encounter a challenge, you're like, okay, I knew I couldn't do this. You know, you will encounter challenges. You will need to tweak a product or you will go to a craft show and it's not going to work that one craft show for whatever reason. Those things will happen, whichever thing it is that that happens. So what you want to do is not, shut the door and say, okay, I knew I couldn't do this. I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes to do. All that is, is a learning and more knowledge. And then you try something different. That's it. But so often we think, we look at people who are so successful and we think they have never had a glitch in the road. Like it's been smooth sailing since forever. And for nobody, nobody has that been the case. But what the people who have been successful have done is they've said, all right, this didn't work. What do I do differently to try next? That's it. Don't give up. Persistence. Don't give up. And don't personalize it and think it's you, that you can't do it. You have what it takes. You know, we're the, we stand in our own way all yes. the time. And it's very true. And then you, you know, you coach, you met a lot of, a lot of startup, a lot of people that wants to be in doing product, whatever it is. Like, it's not an easy journey. It's, right. it's difficult. But at the end of the day, I think it's worth it, right? If you just keep on it, keep going with that. Right. So, right. Thank you so much, Sue. It's been 
delightful to have a chat and then, you know, to pick your brain, the 25 years of experience. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I do have one thing I would like to offer your listeners. Oh, yes, please. Okay. What I find not with beginning people, um, although this is a question, but I think it's way too early when you're starting your company. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who are existing followers, I guess I'd say, who are in my Facebook group, by the way, that's called Gift Biz Breeze, a free Facebook group. But a lot of the challenges that I see that people who have started out are having is how do I make more sales? How do I get closer to that sale that we've been talking about this whole time? Mm -hmm. So I have a free document that gives 10 ways on how to make more sales. And that's available at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash make more sales. So that's available for your listeners, Christina. Thank you so much, Sue. We, you know, I appreciate it. My listener will appreciate it too. So thank you. I will put everything in the show notes so everybody can just like click and then get the free resources because I saw it and then I think it's awesome. So thank you so much, Sue. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. Thank you so much for joining me here every week at Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women's entrepreneurs. Head on over to christinashahli.com forward slash her CEO journey to subscribe for this podcast. And don't forget to tell other women entrepreneurs that this podcast is available for free in the podcast apps of their choice. Until next time, and let's continue to grow a business that fuels the life that you want to live.